Welcome to Masala PTI with your hosts, Ravi and Arvind. Pardon these Indians as they take you on a unique and wild ride around the world of sports. Welcome to the special playoff edition of the Masala PTI Boys and Girls. This is Arvind Srinivasan with my buddy uh, Ravi Krishnan. Ravi, are you ready for the NBA playoffs? Most certainly, Arvind. Uh, it's been a long time coming. It feels like since the Super Bowl ended, we had not much to celebrate about. But I think the NBA playoffs this season promises to be super exciting. Right. There's a lot of people who think that this has been one of the most... Uh, fun NBA seasons actually and I, I tend to agree mostly because of uh, the style of play, the super team and the Warriors, I think coming off of last year, the story around the Cavaliers beating the Warriors and also all the triple doubles that um, uh, you know Westbrook is reigning on the league and there's just been a lot of stories. Um, which one has been your favorite so yeah. far? Yeah, no, and to me, the main uh, thing that has excited me this season versus previous seasons has been what you said right at the beginning, which is the style of play. It appears that, uh, and it, it, it has been a combination of the fact that teams have opened up their offensive system, uh, so to speak, across the board. Mm-hmm. But I also feel that after, it seems like a lull of about 10 to 12 years, we are seeing a lot of super talents as individual players again this year. I mean, not just this year, but over the past couple of years. Right. All of that is manifesting almost at the same time. And this season has been a great example of that. Yes. And I think the whole point guard play and the guard play in general has, has been uh, sensational. And in a, in a small way, you and I, you know, being Suns fans, trace all of that back to Steve Nash, uh, and that makes us feel, feel good as well. But let's jump into these, uh, you know, topics for today. Let's start right there. Let's start with the MVP, because the last time we, we spoke, I think we were kind of in agreement that Westbrook was, uh, uh, the, you know, leading in, in, the, in our minds at least. And I really not changed that. I, I think he is, you know, land, he should be winning this MVP vote in a landslide. But I don't think he's going to because there are a lot of good arguments against him as well. And uh, Harden, of course, has put up sensational numbers too. So where are you with your uh, MVP uh, vote? Uh, not that either of us have a vote, but... Uh, we can vote here, right? What the hell? We can do whatever we yeah. want. <laughs> By the way, on that, I'd rather, in some ways, we had a vote versus some of the people who seem to. <laughs> uh, but uh, I also think if I had a vote, I would vote for Westbrook today. But in my mind, compared to when we last spoke about it, the gap, mm-hmm. not just between him and Harden, but him, Harden, and Kawhi is far more narrow or far narrower than it was in my mind. Uh, you know, a month ago when we last spoke about it. Why? What changed? Because I think he has put up more numbers since... I mean, better I numbers agree. since See, then. I agree with that, and which is why if I had to pick one, I would still pick Westbrook. But it seems like... Uh, 
you know, there has been a definite case of start chasing from Westbrook, and uh, you know, again, my opinion may be coloured by the few games of Oklahoma that I did watch, and the primary among them was the Suns game, mm-hmm. where the Suns were absolutely intent on not on not allowing him to get a triple double, yeah. and he was basically going maniacal crazy trying to get it. So it just became super, uh, you know, filmy, very overly. Uh, manufactured in regards to his attempts to, uh, ha- I mean, or rather his lack of attempt to do anything to get close in the game, but rather to just chase his stats. So that kind of lessened my degree of awe a little bit regarding Westbrook. Okay. Harden, and at the same time, the reason why, in my mind, the gap between him and Harden lessened is if you were to really look at it from a 50,000 foot level, mm-hmm. team success probably should matter as much, if not more, than individual stats. And where Harden has taken the Rockets with pretty similar, in my mind again, pretty similar compilation of backup talent. Yeah. Uh, well, is, you know, is, is in some ways comparable. And I think this is an argument you had made to me last time when we spoke, uh, which I am trying to, I'm not trying to, I am valuing more now than I did then. Uh, I think uh, to me that has started weighing more. That I think what Harden has done in carrying his team to 50 whatever wins he has, I think is is pretty remarkable. And my last candidate in this category, and I could literally flip one, two or three in this, Mm -hmm. Kawhi, what he's able to do at the defensive end, I think neither of the other two can even come close to uh, replicating. So to me, that has to have some weightage of its own. That's, That's a valid point. And I think that's what more than anything else in my mind knocks Harden down a bit. Because yeah. Harden, all said and done, is, is just uh, pretty bad defensively. With that said, I, I think my opinion still does not change. In fact, I, w- I would say that uh, Westbrook has good supporting cast, better supporting cast compared to Harden. But Harden's team is put together for him and D'Antoni, right? Much better. Uh, they, they, they have a system and they have picked people to suit the system. Westbrook's team is kind of a random collection of talent in some ways, uh, but the talent is more with Steven Adams and I like Oladipo as well. Of course, the knock against Kawhi is, I think he has the most talent around him uh, among all three of them, right? Except all those guys are three years too old, but uh, he has Paul Gasol, he has Aldridge, he has Parker and Ginobili, of course, Uh, plus he has a system as well, just like Harden. With all that said and done, um, sorry, go ahead. You want to say something? Yeah, yeah. I, no, you and you bring up a very interesting point, which is I think Harden is definitely helped by the system around him. You know, I think the attorney has been magical in regards to that. But just to play devil's advocate, Arvind, I am not sure if Westbrook is a. Uh, uh, is the is the victim of the fact that there is no real system around him or basically it looks like a random collection of talented guys around him or whether he is more of a cause towards that outcome. It's, it's a bit... If you look at him, it almost as if he mandates for him to hog the ball for 59 out of the 60 minutes. So mm-hmm. I'm not even sure if he would comply to any kind of a you know, motion, pass-based offensive system. And again, this is just a question. I obviously don't yeah, know I mean, the other. But to me, that's where Westbrook is a very polarizing 
candidate wherein you can absolutely go crazy about him given the fact that as you said Damanta Sabonis and Oladipo are the shining lights of his uh, you know his roster rather than himself but i'm not sure if you couldn't in the right hands offer him a better offensive system uh, with but but he would probably just say screw it i'm just going to play uh, one on five Well, that's a fair point. I think he is probably uh, like Kobe has been at some points in his career, right? He's or even Carmelo yes. for that point, right? Even Carmelo is like that. It's hard to build around him, maybe, right? With that said, nobody has tried to, right? Uh, yeah. Durant just left, right? They were not expecting that, yes. so they uh, they don't know if Westbrook was going to leave. Actually, luckily, he stayed for them. so it is this is really year 1 of an experiment which they are still figuring out what to do and they had a draft pick they had to get rid of ibaka so they are like almost beginning this journey of rebuilding around westbrook right so it's definitely not a finished product of course i understand your concern that if the finished product will look any different given uh, westbrook's style of play but the houston situation is completely different right the darrel mori has been on this three point offensive juggernaut train for many years uh, harden has been there for a few years and then here comes dean tony who is like the you know superstar of that style of coaching and it's like a perfect blend right and then they go get ryan anderson and they pick up eric garden and then midway through the season they get lou williams that's almost like fantastically coming together for dean tony here it's slightly different but your point about his style of play is what many people are a little bit bothered about plus i want to talk to you about this i am still impressed about the triple doubles right there is some murmur about the numbers as well and i know you have a opinion on that i think it's still a very impressive number uh but people some people think it's kind of random and what's the big deal and where where do you settle on that so i and you hit the nail on it said in regards to where i stand arvind i am actually becoming less enamored with triple double as an official stat as the season has gone on because there has been a lot of chatter around it a lot of debate about it Mm-hmm. See what Westbrook has done is absolutely remarkable. I am not sure if he's ever going to repeat it in any or anyone for that matter is going to come close to repeating it. Having said that, mm-hmm. uh, you know what I am getting more and more drawn to is the counter argument to the value of the triple double wherein it almost seems like if you are getting say 16 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists Uh, that almost seems to get be communicated across as being more valuable than say 38 points for uh, 6 rebounds and 6 assists so that's one thing and yeah. i know westbrook is an outlier to that because he's actually averaging 30 points <laughs> so he defeats my point right there right but, right but my other but my bigger point and this is actually less I... about whether that makes westbrook a viable candidate or not but it is just a more general dialogue around triple doubles is a lot of yesteryear legends or uh, you know great players mm-hmm. i think could have averaged may have averaged a triple double if it was actually a stat and i'm just stealing from something that bill simmons has been talking about ad nauseum which is that i think if wilt who was an acknowledged stat chaser yeah. had wanted he could have actually averaged a triple double every season of his career right uh, right i heard similarly, that too similarly oscar robertson actually did 
uh, you know, average a triple double for the first five seasons of his career, except that mm-hmm. in any one season other than the one where he did, he was basically in every season other than the one in which he actually did, he was like a decimal point less on assists and a couple of decimal points less on rebounds, etc., and so on and so right, forth. Right. And then obviously, magic, magic again. If he had meant to think of triple double as a stat for which he would be acknowledged i think he would have had a lot more than he eventually had so that's what makes me temper down a little bit but yeah. that is not meant to minimize what westbrook is doing right i i have some uh, arguments against that right i think it is a very impressive uh, stat because i think it is the single most relevant uh, statistic to capture uh, a well-roundedness of a player, right? What, why it's so highly rated, in my opinion, is not because of the numbers themselves, but the fact that somebody is talented enough to do all of that on the court. Now, yeah. scoring 38 points and getting six rebounds and five assists, of course, is very impressive. But if somebody is doing like, you know, even 20 points, right? 20 points, 11 rebounds, 11 assists, that is, to me, pretty impressive in that somebody is so talented as well as so well-rounded that they can impact all parts of the game. So I'm a big fan of tri- triple-doubles, unlike you or uh, Bill Simmons. Uh, speaking of whom, I never, had, I never had any idea that Wilt was a stat chaser. I heard that uh, only through this discussion, actually. But that's, that's another topic for another day. So all said and done, I think... I think uh, Westbrook should be winning it because, you know, at the end of the day, nobody has averaged a triple-double since Oscar, right? And you got to give him some props for that. And it is, yeah, sure, we talked about it last time that the style of play helps him, the change, the pace, everything helps him, but still it's pretty darn impressive. And the guy is just relentless and uh, he just goes after it. Uh, So my vote is still for him. And this is what, I think the more other interesting point for me, and, uh, you know, you should do this too, is I heard all these journalists get like five votes, right? So who are the top five? More than the top itself, I think it's interesting to rank all five. So in, yeah. my, in my mind, it's Westbrook, Harden, uh, LeBron, well, Kawhi, LeBron, and uh, the fifth one is interesting. Maybe Isaiah Thomas, right? Just because he had a good stretch in there. How, how, who do you think uh, is the top five? And the interesting part, Ravi, is Curry has looked every bit the MVP the last uh, couple of weeks, since, since uh, Durant's injury, basically. Yeah. So what's, what's your uh, five? You know, I wouldn't have a clue on the fifth one. In fact, I think... Uh, Isaiah Thomas would be that really cute, totally unexpected, and possibly, uh, you know, the fashionable pick. Uh-huh. Uh, and because he's actually, again, if you look, if you no, want to see success and how one person has transformed it, yeah, uh, he's as you know important as anyone else or anywhere for any other team. But yeah, rank your uh, rank your first four though. Uh, uh, was Curry. And to your point, it's exactly for the same reason that since Durant has been out, mm-hmm. it feels like Curry's been, you know, back at the wheel and, uh, yeah. you know, taking care of uh, certain victories on literally his own shoulder. Right, right. And, 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 you know, and it's interesting, speaking of Curry, it's also been apparent how 
why how and why he has been the mvp because i think one of our previous podcasts talked about the value of draymond green and how in some cases he's the most valuable warrior and by the way i shifted from that uh, pedestal as well because uh, i don't know if you heard kerr mention in a uh, in a in a press conference two days ago and i i think he was being semi serious only because he said that against meaningless or in games that are meaningless draymond is meaningless as well so there is a certain degree of uh, high and low with Draymond's uh, intensity in a game at least this season and to me that's where i think you draw the line between someone like him and curry where you know what you're getting mm, yeah so so what's your rank though? what's your five though so mine i think i would put curry there just because oh nice so and your top four in which order so it would be westbrook harden westbrook and harden kawai and so being one I guess 1A and 1B. <laughs> no, you got to pick Logan, one. And then LeBron and then uh, Curry. No, you got to pick one. There's no 1A, 1B. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you mean my pick for the MVP? Yeah. Oh, Westbrook, Westbrook. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I'm still on Westbrook. Let's quickly also talk about coach of the year. My uh, my ranking there is obviously, I think D'Antoni has been fantastic because if people are not giving enough credit to Harden, uh, some people are, but if people say he's not the MVP, then I think it's a no-brainer for D'Antoni to be the coach of the year. Uh, so to me, he's number one. And the other guys who get a lot of credit is, of course, Pop, right? Pop has always, uh, Eric Spolstra, um, Scotty Brooks in Washington, and also I think Quinn Snyder in Utah gets a lot of run, but I personally am not... Uh, uh, you know, a Quinn Snyder guy yet for this year's uh, Coach of the Year. So to yeah. me, it has to be D'Antoni uh, and then Pop, Brooks and Spo in some order. Of course, Spo missed the playoffs, so I guess that eliminates him. What do you think? So it's interesting. And again, may, again, I would say that I'm probably less clued in about it uh, uh, than you uh, or any of the other uh, analysts talking about it but in my mind the coach of the year for this season uh, is Brad Stevens with the Celtics ah, uh, it, you know if I were to say wake up wake up from a coma since the end of last season <laughs> and be and be provided with the roster of Boston mm-hmm. I wouldn't recognize any name other than Isaiah Thomas on that roster literally speaking and for him to kind of well, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. They got... Yeah. I'll tell you why is not that high. There's really three reasons. One is you're forgetting Al, Al Orford. You absolutely know him, right? He's, they got him in the off-season. They were already... I think they went in the, to the second round, I think, last year's playoffs. Yes. And... I think they had a little bit of a slowdown towards the end. It's just that Cleveland has been even worse that they won the number one seed. But they have tailed off a little bit, just a little bit. But anyway, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so, and, I, I, and you're right. I think Horford definitely is a name I knew of. But again, Horford is, in my mind, was not a signing that would have pushed them from, I think, the sixth ranked team in the Eastern Conference to literally being the number one seed. Again, there have been a couple of reasons for that. I mean, Cleveland has been on a nosedive. Yeah. But irrespective of, the, of that, for the fact that they are they are in the zone, in the universe that they are in, where they are being talked about as true contenders, yeah. I think is a huge testament to a guy that was 
basically coaching Butler a couple of years ago. Sure. So Brad Stevens is a definite nominee. In my mind, Pop is like one of those, uh, 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 you know, he should kind of have a permanent uh, <laughs> also ran, right. uh, you know, award in terms of the coach of the year because he is in my mind uh, the Michael Jordan of NBA coaching. Right, right. Uh, so, so, so he's he's there. But if you were to ask me to name one person, I I don't know. I'm still on Brad Stevens. Wow, nice. Yeah, that's that's always a good pick. Uh, he's a very highly reputed coach, though. Whether he wins it this year or not. Um, yeah, yeah. Now coming to the playoffs, I'm I'm sure we probably don't have a lot of disagreements in it. I think Warriors are pretty much the favorites. Of course, it doesn't guarantee anything. Um, so what I wanted to talk about is looking at these first round matchups, right? Do you see they're all? I mean, a lot of them are pretty exciting, including Portland and uh, Warriors. Is you know it's a great series too, even though I don't expect anything result wise to be sensational there. Any upsets? Any um, anything that you think we are going to be shocked by, either in the East or West? I don't see any upsets, or I, I'm like, in fact, to the point where I'm thinking like, if 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 a gun to the head, if I had to pick an upset, I wouldn't be able to. I see. I I let me. This is a very very soft upset because it's just a four versus five. I think Utah has a shot against Clippers. I I think they may win actually. Uh, Utah is a very sneaky good team. Yeah, uh, Gobert is a monster, man. That guy is just, uh, you know, he's a monster among uh, seven-footers, actually. So I think uh, Clippers are going to have their hands full, even though they have been on a roll. Um, OKC at Houston, don't, you don't give any sh- give OKC any shot? You know, it would have been an interesting... So that series, not because I think Oklahoma can beat Houston, but I would have loved for the league to have announced their MVP prior to that series. <laughs> because then, you know, if you remember the Hakeem versus David Robinson series from 94, when uh, David Robinson was announced as the MVP and Hakeem then took it upon himself to make them look stupid. <laughs> right. uh, I think this would have been one of those where either way, you know, if uh, Westbrook had been awarded MVP, uh, Harden would have taken slight to that and vice versa. But no, I mean, I think uh, given that that drama does not uh, <laughs> seem feasible. I think Houston is just too good. Really? Well, you know, West, so. Westbrook may take it that way anyways. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that, that is true because Westbrook was, uh, and again, I keep going back to Suns because those are the games I watch very keenly, but he was basically uh, pissed off at Tyler Eulis of all people. Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, I I think both, keep an eye on both these series, right? I, I think Utah can give uh, the Clippers all sorts of troubles. And in fact, they if they get past them, they are going to give the next round, even the Warriors, some trouble, actually. And I yeah, think... But, oh, yeah. Yeah, by the way, on Utah, I agree with you. I think the, the, the only reason I didn't even think of Utah was well, actually two reasons. One is, you're right, I think the whole four versus five uh, uh, confused me. I wasn't sure who's the four, who's the five. And the second reason is, what's the latest on Gordon Hayward? Is he, you know, is he ready to play or because he was injured, right? That's a good question. Uh, I am not sure. I assumed he's going to play. Uh, otherwise, there is a little bit of a question mark there. Uh, and I also expect uh, the OKC, 
Houston to go uh, go all the way to the wire. It might be a seven game series actually. Um, yeah. So yeah, I can't find what's going to happen with uh, Haywood. I think he he better play. He's 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 a he, you know he's become a nice uh, star player actually. I I never yeah. thought he would be this this good. Um, all right, so now the next question, and I don't see any upsets in the East, at least in the first round. So a couple of other questions for you, playoffs, talking, you know, projecting through the next few weeks, assuming it plays to plan, right? Who do you think, all the way to the finals, who do you think is going to give the most trouble for the Warriors? I think uh, that is... Yeah, that, yeah, I think that's a very interesting question, right? Because one of the knock... I, I'm looking at the bracket... Here, one of the knocks against the Warriors has been how they're quote-unquote missing both the Clippers and the Spurs, right? The first year, that was big news because remember back in the day, Clippers-Warriors were a legitimate rivalry. And then Houston took Clippers out (laughs) and uh, San Antonio was gone too, right? And then again, last year, nobody really cared about the Clippers, but... Spurs were supposed to be a major hurdle, but OKC took the Spurs out, and OKC, of course, almost took the Warriors out, and then the Cleveland took the Warriors out, right? This year, looking at the bracket, again, every year it's probably true. Uh, They may actually run into Clippers, even though I'm contradicting myself. I think Utah is going to take them out. Uh, But they may actually go have to go through Clippers and San Antonio. But I really... If I'm a Warriors fan, I'm, I'm really not scared of either of those teams this year. So, I might, you know, it may go all the way to the finals to even have a legitimate threat to them. Uh, and that, you know, either Boston or Cleveland could be that threat. They've always had problems with Boston. So, I think it's either Boston or Cleveland. Uh, it has to be in the finals. Along the way, they may not be seriously threatened, even by the mighty spurs what do you think so in my mind and it's interesting i mean i that's that is really interesting listening to you because again i think my view is slightly different which is and i agree with you by the way that i think i don't think the clippers or utah are going to be an issue mm-hmm. and, but i feel the warriors have truly dodged a bullet by not having to face uh, houston uh, or uh, san antonio in the second round because i think that series i'm eagerly waiting for uh, uh, that should be a good one uh, because, see, Houston is one of those teams, and again, it's you know, you can never bet on them, uh, except that in a seven-game series, I can also safely uh, uh, hope that they'll have three of those wild games where they'll take 63-point shots, which they do pretty much every game, yeah. but they'll make 30 of them. And right. if they do that, they're not going to be beaten. So you're, if they have two or three of those games, they are in that series. And so I think that's... that's Something that I feel the Warriors will have trouble with. Having said that, mm-hmm. the probability of that happening consistently over a seven-game series is the question uh, which makes me think Houston may not ultimately beat them, but they will be a legitimate threat. San yeah. Antonio, to my earlier point, is always going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so, and to me, either of those teams in the in the Western Conference Finals will be more of a threat than even either Cleveland or Boston in the NBA Finals. Interesting. So, we have a different opinion on it. But, but you know, your point on Houston is well taken. Uh, that you could pick them to be the biggest challenger, right? I just did not. 
uh, and you know spurs are the spurs so i see what you're saying but for some reason i feel like it's going to be either boston or cleveland uh, spurs are not the same in my eyes for whatever reason even though they are awesome and yeah i mean houston who knows right they could easily uh, <laughs> do something crazy but you know one thing though clay kind of plays uh, harden pretty well harden at yes. the end of the day is not very athletic he, the warriors despite their great defensive abilities they struggle against westbrook they struggle against kyrie right because those are athletic guys you can do only so much defending them they somehow seem to do better against harden actually uh, that's my uh, take on that as far yeah. as the houston goes now let me ask you another question do you think it's cleveland or boston i think cleveland yeah me too me too you know it's it, i think it's uh, lebron's legacy is just too uh, consistent to kind of bet against yeah don't you think that guy's legacy is getting better with age like wine i think so yeah right? i mean he uh, that it just and you know and again this probably has to reflect my relative uh, unfamiliarity for the past several seasons i didn't realize that he's now been to how many consecutive yeah. finals do that's six amazing six he has been to six consecutive finals that's un- I mean, unimaginable that's just yeah. remarkable Yeah you know one thing we both you and me and all of our listeners should actually really enjoy this uh, guy's career because we are just living through it and we take it for granted i think he's a sensational generational uh, player just probably when all said and done he will just be just behind uh, mj right just because we are never going to put anybody ahead of mj <laughs> other you know he's going to be right there Oh, couldn't couldn't agree more with you there, Arvind. Because you know, in in fact, to the point where I feel that uh, we are almost hesitant or shy to acknowledge acknowledge his greatness, almost on par with MJ, just because MJ has become like a godlike exactly, uh, exactly. You know, image for exactly, us. Exactly. Uh, because to me, and it, it if you combine his sustained brilliance, mm-hmm. and not as an individual player, because that's a completely different conversation, but sustained brilliance as a teammate within a team with irrespective of which team he has been to constantly take them to the almost pinnacle of his sport every year year over year in the midst of what we just discussed earlier which is uh, an era where individual talent and you know team excellence has really risen up mm-hmm. uh, puts him i think you're right i mean in almost all on par if not on par with the greatest of all time exactly so Well, I think I think it's going to be an interesting run and obviously we'll have more uh, pods to talk about it. Um before we wrap this up with our Pakka Fire, we have to talk about the Suns obviously. Who have nothing to do with this year's playoffs, but they look every bit ready for next year's playoffs and the finals 2 years or 3 years from now while we are dreaming, why not, right? What yeah. I can't believe is scored 70 points it's been many many days but for somebody to score 70 points we're talking about devin uh, booker here is just amazing because earlier in the year ravi i don't know if you remember i made this uh, stupid comment in one of the podcasts that i was getting a little concerned about him that how 
he was not making that jump from the uh, you know year to year which all the young players at that stage in their career just make that progression right i didn't we didn't see it early in the year he was just looked like a little streaky he was great but just as great as he was last year but the second half has been just amazing for the team as well as him personally and uh, that 70 points was just uh, the highlight of the season obviously uh, did, uh, did you watch it by the way In fact, there are two games. Uh, one is obviously the seventy-point game, uh, and when the other one that sticks out in my mind, which kind of makes me super excited about him and the Suns, is again going back to that uh, Westbrook game. Because right. If you remember that game, right. Uh, going on in Phoenix with basically eighty percent of the fans and their cheers uh, rooting for Westbrook and OKC, and there was this one point during the game. I think the Suns were down by, or no, the Suns were up by like ten or twelve, but the fans were like. almost close to booing every time the sun scored uh, and or stole the ball from westbrook and book something switched for booker he went ballistic he went crazy yeah. he kept taking and making three pointers and or and one plays and every time he made them he like basically was looking at the crowd and saying it's my effing house wow. and i think that's what made me think that here's a guy who's not just talented but he's also not just a nice guy he's got that dog in him You nice. said to be an yeah. alpha dog in a team. Yeah, I think he scored twenty plus in that fourth quarter or something. In the right? fourth quarter. Yeah, that's amazing. And, yeah. And 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 uh, what's up with that, by the way? Speaking of, who are these people cheering for Westbrook in the Suns? And you know what? This is one of those things which, again, I love my Suns, but I absolutely hate Suns fans because they are the most uh, bandwagon, fair weather fans, mm-hmm. which goes along with the general Phoenix population, right? You have a lot of people who are transient. Yeah. Uh, so some of it goes with the territory, but but still, I mean, we have to have more loyalty to our team. I think I see that with the uh, I see that less with the Cardinals, but the first few years after the Diamondbacks started sucking after the Randy Johnson, Curt Schilling era, yeah. I used to see that with the D-backs as well. I mean, you used to have more Cubs fans and right, uh, Dodger right. fans and so on and so forth. But the Suns really, the Suns fans really disappoint me at the moment. Yeah, and and but I think they they have to come around. This team is looking great, and it's almost to a point where, uh, for a team that has lost so many games, I I feel funny saying that. I almost feel like they have too many weapons actually <laughs> from a future. You know, so they were they were like the ultimate, uh, uh, you know, super draw for. you and me weren't like they were playing pretty much every game very competitively showing a lot of what's coming in the future but ended up losing games yeah. so that they they're not compromising their draft position either right so that's the question for you would you pick uh, ball if they have uh, if the is the best player available because this team always seems to have just god after god after god right So I was yeah. just looking at the projections. They're supposed to be leaning towards a small forward from Kansas. Josh Jackson. Yes, but what if they get the third pick instead of second, and he's already gone or something like that? Uh, Ball would be another point guard. Already, I, they probably have to do something with uh, Brandon Knight, right? And then they have uh, Bledsoe, who is really, I think, Bledsoe and Booker have blended in well. So yeah. what do they do that's that's pretty much my uh, only concern but then there is just so much talent bender came back from injury is looking good 
Chris and uh, even Derek Jones Jr. seems to have some yeah. uh, legs uh, as far as their NBA careers go. Uh, it's 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 going to be fun, but uh, is, I don't know who they are going to pick. You know, left to me, uh, I would go Josh Jackson as well. But in your scenario, if they don't have him on board when they get to draft, I would just pick Ball. I mean, he is acknowledged as being yeah the quote unquote the best talent. And if they were to get him, they probably should. And if that be the case, I'm assuming they would want to trade Bledsoe because he would then become their most valuable trade asset. Yeah, at least Ball would be younger. I, I I watched him in the NCAA tournament. He's pretty. He's legit. His dad is a nut hey, job. Hey. His dad is a nut job, but the the kid is amazing. Did you see Jared Dudley's uh, uh, season-ending uh, media? Uh, no uh, session where he basically said that we would be stupid not to draft ball i see wow yeah yeah that guy is amazing dude he's he's like a i, I you know you don't see that level of uh, maturity and vision in college at least i don't follow college that closely i can't think of uh, anybody maybe you have to go to chris paul or somebody who looked yeah. that good uh, in terms of assists and passing at college you know level that- I agree with you. In fact, the NCAA tournament for the first time again in about 10 years, I paid a lot of attention to given the Suns potential <laughs> uh, you know choices. Yeah. But the other guy that to me uh, came close and not I mean not very close, fairly close to Ball's level of unselfish pure point guard play was the kid from uh, Kentucky. His Fox? last name is Fox. I Fox. forget what yeah, his yeah, name yeah. is. He actually abused uh, Ball in that game. Ball, yes. Yeah. And so he seemed, but again, his 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 passing game doesn't seem to be as refined as Ball. But obviously, he seemed to have uh, a, a, a certain degree of killer instinct. I think, but he represents more of today's point guard or the modern point guard versus Ball. I think Ball would make us hark back or look back fondly. at the times of Steve Nash. Exactly. He looks a lot like that. Fox had a lot of dog in him and he kind of defends very well, which is what I saw in that game, but just with the ball in his hands, ball was uh, pretty impressive. Um yep. so let's see what happens. So something to look forward to the 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 uh, lottery will happen sometime during the playoffs as well, right? We have something to look forward to. And so, Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and these youngsters are looking great and speaking of youngsters the one guy we forgot to talk about is uh, and some people are throwing him in the mvp mix as well the greek freak did you see that he leads the team in every major stats category that's amazing i've yeah. never seen anything like that he leads in everything points rebounds assists blocks and steals i think Uh, That's crazy. In fact, you know, when you brought up this question around who would be your top five MVP candidates, uh, I almost didn't remember or didn't think of Curry initially. Uh-huh. Isaiah Thomas, yes, but the only other person I could think of was uh, uh, was Giannis. Yeah. Uh, I think his his situation or his issue is purely the fact that Milwaukee is a fairly mediocre team. Otherwise, he individually is just fantastic. Yes. Uh, I don't. But I don't think they beat Toronto though. Right? Yeah. 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 and because lauri looks in shape and he he seems back so i think that's going to be hard cool so that's a good show uh before we wrap up let's do our uh, top 5 items in our minds we call it pakka 5 should i go okay. or you want to go ravi no go ahead 
Okay. So speaking of Lowry and uh, Demar Derozan, I uh, you know for people who have heard this before, this may not be news. I have started spending more uh, time in New York. Uh, Ravi and I are both from the Bay Area, live in the Bay Area, uh, but lately I've been spending a lot of time in New York for work. And I decided to go catch the Knicks at MSG before uh, the season is out. Um, you know, initially I thought Knicks have nothing to play for their like absolute garbage team. I should get, uh, you know, cheap tickets. But then, of course, this is New York and this is Madison Square Garden, right? I was just shocked at how pricey the seats were for game number 40 with no Nova, no Derrick Rose, no uh, Prosingers, uh, Prosingers, no Carmelo. And still, wow. it was just a slightly cheaper than uh, Warriors, Ravi. And you know how crazy Warrior prices are in the oh Bay my Area. Oh, goodness. I wouldn't have imagined that. Yeah, and that's the power of uh, New York. And it's probably a lot of tourists like me. I'm not a tourist, but quote-unquote, uh, just wanting to check out Madison Square Garden or whatever. So I went for that game. They played Toronto, and DeRozan was great. Uh, but of course, the highlight was just checking out Madison Square Garden. And in the past, I've heard some stories like how it's just more a historic venue. There's a lot of hype and history, but it's actually uh, dumb. But that was not my experience at all. I don't know if they refurbished it recently or what. It looked great, actually. It's a really nice stadium. I, I had a great time there. Um, I, 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 there are always celebrities. I guess Fat Joe was there. Maurice Chestnut was there, there are a couple of people. I don't know if they pay them to show up for the next game these days or whether they show up uh, themselves, I don't know. Of course, I, I didn't see Spike Lee there. Speaking of, by the way, I ran into Spike Lee in the block next to mine. Apparently, one of his many houses is uh, right near where I live. So I was like, oh, is that a, does that look like Spike Lee? And then I came home and Googled him, sure enough, he has a town home somewhere close to where I live. So, wow! So you're doing some uh, celebrity sighting <laughs> in a major way. Yes, I guess that's my uh, one New York celebrity story so far. Uh, that's my first point. Um, the second point is speaking of uh, NBA and Suns and Rockets and D'Antoni. I heard a very interesting story. Uh, Via, I don't know via who, but basically Jalen Rose supposedly said D'Antoni doesn't even practice defense. Um, do you remember, um, Ravi, where he played for him? Was he at the Suns? He, he was at the Suns for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. So Jalen Rose was with the 2010 Suns team and so, basically didn't leave the bench. Yeah, that's the year. So supposedly D'Antoni doesn't even play or practice, rather practice defense. He thinks it's a complete waste of time, which is which blew my mind, just as you could imagine. I don't know if Jalen is exaggerating or if it's a true story. Hopefully, D'Antoni has changed a little bit after his uh, bad experiences with the Knicks and the Lakers. But I thought that was just a very uh, interesting piece of uh, st- uh, you know news from Jalen Rose. Have you heard of that before? You know, I don't know who, or maybe it was again, I think Jalen Rose and Bill Simmons used to do a show together, right, for ESPN. Yes, So, yes. I think I heard it, heard what you just said from Bill Simmons on his podcast, but mm-hmm. it could have been the same source. It could have been Jalen Rose 
mentioning it to Bill Simmons. Yes. So I've heard that before. It just seems very uh, unlikely. I mm-hmm. mean, it just seems so outlandish. Right, right. It, it does feel that way. And I forgot about this and I had to inject this into Pucka 5 when we were talking about the rockets. I remembered, suddenly remembered this. Uh, my third uh, Pucka 5 item staying on the coaching ranks, there is the new 30 for 30 documentary on ESPN uh, on uh, John Calipari, the Kentucky coach and the one and done phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's as usual, it's interesting. Uh, I didn't watch the entirety of it. I kept an eye on it. But what was interesting is, you know, you always wonder what do these so-called great coaches do, right? What, what is the differentiator? How are they unique? Or is it just recruiting on and on? I saw a couple of bits, you know, we, you, I'm sure you heard Calipari talk on radio shows and all that. He's very well spoken. He's a little bit pompous. Yeah. Some people may say he's arrogant. He's very showy. But anyway, he always talks well. You, you know, you, you, that guy can talk. So there were a couple of scenes which I thought, wow, this guy, especially putting him in front of 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds should be such a powerful, uh, uh, you know, phenomenon. No wonder he's so successful. So what he does is, in the Kentucky, one day what he does is, you remember when the Powerball hit one billion or something? He yeah. he sells these tickets for a, two bucks. He has two tickets for each of these players, right? He gives them all two tickets. And then he says, you know, what are the chances of winning that? He says, some, like, you're one in 300 million or something, right? Some crazy number. And he says, none of you guys need this because you already have the lottery ticket. You are the lottery ticket. Wow. You just need to realize that, work towards it. You got something that rest of us don't have. That's why we are, we are buying these lottery tickets. None of you guys should not even be buying this. If you want, come and put back the lottery ticket and take the money back. And then a couple of kids actually go and take the two bucks back. Right? Wow. And then he says, oh, you are the smart guys because you, you just need hard work and you, know, you are the lottery ticket. I thought that was interesting. And then there's this other scene where he's coaching John Wall. And he's, I'm not exactly sure what he was talking about, like maybe some argument with this star point guard or whatever. And he says, listen, John, don't worry about all this. You are gone. You are gone after one year. You have enough talent. You are going to be a very high uh, draft pick in the NBA. But take everybody with you. That's all I want you to do. Take your teammates with you. And I thought that was a very powerful statement. I agree. Coincidentally, that was the year. Remember, they had like five out of the top 13 picks or something crazy like that. Uh, uh, and so that I thought was another uh, great uh, tidbit from the show so that I just wanted to share there and if you get a chance check that out my fourth one is um, of course uh, you know the news of the week is really the uh, really uh, upsetting United Airlines video which which I was really pissed at that Um, yeah (laughs) but the funny part of that was Joe Thomas uh, the you know offensive lineman tweets uh, right away that uh, he had to reaccommodate someone and he has this huge uh, tackle picture posted on his Twitter that he's <laughs> I thought it was really funny that put a smile on my face 
And the other thing which was interesting was a girl tweeted that uh, my ex is flying on flight one two three seven or something, and United <laughs> go do do your thing. <laughs> Oh, there's a lot of memes and uh, funny stories, but uh, I thought that was interesting. And the other really upsetting news all the month to me was, uh, all the last month was really the Raiders move. And this hits home for both of you and me, Ravi, being from the Bay Area. I think you even had Raiders season tickets at some point, That's right? That's right, two years ago. Yeah, so I, the thing that absolutely amazes me is this NFL, which is supposedly a $13 billion industry or whatever, I don't even know how many billions they are right now. Every time I hear it's a bigger number. They have had three teams move from their home markets in less than a year. How, how is that? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, what kind of business is it which just betrays its customers at that rate? It's one thing for one team. You could even stomach team two. But three teams between the Rams, the Chargers and the Raiders have just moved away from their customer base, right? And aside from the personal Raiders Bay Area anger, I think the overall business model of the NFL and what they're doing is just, they should be ashamed of themselves. But of course, they are not. They don't care because they are uh, walking to the bank with uh, smiles across their face. So those are my uh, top five and um, you know your turn but before that what what was your reaction to the Raiders move? I am as uh, uh, pissed off as you are about the Raiders move Arvind and again to me again it goes back to a couple of philosophical disconnects because to me number one is if it is if it is a situation where there is a sick or an ailing market so you have a sports team among other corporate entities that need to move out uh-huh. to a more flourishing situation. I think then you can see the logical connect. In this case, moving uh, a team from uh, one of the largest markets of the country with a very rabid and devoted uh, fan base to uh, the sin capital of the world, for lack of a better way of describing it makes zero sense yeah and is only directly uh, related to the individual greed of the team ownership which i mean in some ways i guess kind of makes sense that they want uh, you know let's say the city to fund their stadium and if the city is frankly either uninterested or incapable mm-hmm. of funding it uh, then it falls upon the individual ownership but then i go back and completely agree with your point that if the league is flourishing the way it is in terms of the number of zeros uh, you know, behind right. the uh, behind the primary number in their check, which is I don't know how many multiple billions we are talking about, there has to have been some kind of a co-funding arrangement that could have been uh, agreed upon or could have been reached in order to do one thing and one thing alone, which is to keep a sports franchise in its primary fan base. Exactly. Where that gets lost in the midst of all these capitalistic moves, uh, I'm a, I've been aghast as well. I mean, I yeah. don't know what, you know, how people get to such seemingly knee-jerk reactions so quickly. Yeah, I mean, my point is simple, right? These teams have to pick one or the other. They can ask for civic money, right? Public money, because they all claim to be civic entities, Right. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, Google doesn't ask for money to build their office or anything like that. Yeah. Pepsi doesn't. Yeah. If you do that, then have some level of 
loyalty and commitment to the market, right? Now, if you're just going to say, I am a business, I'll do whatever I want in the best interest for me. Vegas gives me 750 million, LA gives me 300 million, I'm moving. Then which, what face are you asking for public money? You are asking for public money for a reason, right? That you are some kind of a civic entity. If you are such a civic entity, how can you be so callous towards that market? That's my point. Pick one or the other. You know, you are constantly asking for public money as if you are somehow a pride of the community in Oakland or St. Louis or whatever. And then the moment they don't give you that, you just walk away because you are just a business and you are doing what's in the best interest of business. It, it just okay, doesn't make sense. Ultimate two-faced uh, in, your, in, your, in your approach, in your message. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. No, great points, great points, Arvind. So my pakka fights, I'll start with uh, uh, an NFL topic and that has to do with the ongoing saga with Colin Kaepernick. Uh, you know, I'm not the biggest Kaepernick fan as a football player. Having said that, I'm struck by the fact that no one is interested in signing him up. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could be had for free and no one still wants him. But I think even more stunning to me was uh, this recent revelation. There's some anonymous survey that was done amongst NFL officials where it seems like his uh, respect or lack thereof is equivalent to what uh, what it is for someone like a Ray Caruth. Wow. So basically, you know, people within the NFL, administrators, players, officials, whatever, think of Colin Kaepernick in the same vicinity as they think of Ray Ruth and to me that's mind-boggling. Here's a guy who number one stood for his uh, beliefs right. in, in the whole nationalistic uh, ethos which you could completely disagree with but mm-hmm. last I che- checked he didn't kill someone, he didn't basically kill two people and then try to hide. Uh, so to me it is uh, simply uh, at best uh, you know intellectually uh, very uh, uh, stupid mm-hmm. uh, and at worst truly evil for a large community of individuals to have this level of consensus consensus driven hatred towards an individual for no for no fault of theirs so do you think it's the owners themselves feel that way or they're influenced by what their markets think I am, I'm sure it's a, it's, it's a lot more of the latter. I mean, if you grab each one of these quote-unquote anonymous responders individually, mm-hmm. I'm sure they, they won't be as uh, critical of Kaepernick, but it almost seems like they are uh, towing the line of whatever they think others around them, including the market, wants them to say. I see. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, so my uh, second point is uh, more on the positive side and it's about a sport we haven't talked about today, which is baseball. And again, my interest in baseball has been dormant for the last 10-15 years, Mm -hmm. Uh, has sprung back into life this year because our famed Arizona Diamondbacks are leading the National League at 7-3. So, you know, so they've beaten the Giants, I think. Four out of their six meetings thus far. Nice. Uh, they are six and one at home and are leading the National League in runs scored, doing everything that seems to uh, bring a lot of optimism amongst uh, uh, you know diehard Arizona sports fans like us. Yeah. But having said that, we are talking about literally one sixteenth of the season thus far, <laughs> uh, and uh, inevitably things will tail off. But at least for the first three weeks of the season, the Diamondbacks have provided some. Much needed optimism. Agreed. It's a brutal division, though. <laughs> yeah, it that's is. true. Yeah. Uh, the third uh, point that I have is around uh, 
uh, another breaking news, which is Marshawn Lynch, uh, not only coming back to the NFL, but actually signing with the Raiders. Yeah. The good news or the thing that I'm excited about that is if we get even half of what beast mode used to be, mm-hmm. then he becomes an intriguing fifth, sixth rounder during our fantasy football draft. <laughs> because I don't see a whole lot of excitement about him. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's not going to go where most running backs, most quote unquote starting running backs go. But you never know with him, and if he's even in, uh, you know, again fifty percent of what he used to be, I think that that might be a good bargain. The flip side to it is, I almost feel that he's signed with the Raiders because, uh, you know, his home is here. So I don't know what the motivational <laughs> reasons are for him to come back to football and for that matter play for the Raiders. So if he's not at full tilt mentally. Uh, I don't know how useful he's going to be. I was telling somebody that uh, somebody should tell him that they have not moved to Vegas yet. He, he, he should not be coming back from the strip clubs. <laughs> that is true, actually. You know what? If, if he signs a long-time or a long-term multi-year deal, then you probably are spot on. <laughs> Anyways. So... My fourth point is uh, a topic from within cricket, and uh, again, as you probably know, and I'm not sure if the listeners follow, but uh, uh, the franchise-based cricket league that's most popular in the world is something called the Indian Premier League, and the 2017 edition of it just started a couple of weeks back. And an interesting observation, uh, while kind of just looking at what's happened thus far, is Indian cricket treats its uh, star cricketers uh, uh, very, uh, you know, very distastefully after it seems like they've reached a certain point of, a uh, certain point beyond their peak. Mm-hmm. So Dhoni, until literally maybe about six months ago, was the demigod as a replacement of Sachin Tendulkar, who used to be the, the god of Indian and world cricket for pretty much two decades. Yeah. Dhoni was kind of reaching the same pedestal and all of a sudden, a, a slight dip in form, loss of the national captaincy has resulted in him seemingly being useless now, wherein I've seen him almost, uh, uh, him getting demoted from captaincy of his individual IPL franchise, and now people are talking about dropping him from the 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is it is kind of a very uh, kind of unhealthy manifestation of uh, the fickle minds that reside in, uh, you know, cricket fans in general, but especially Indian cricket fans, I mean, or Indian sports fans. Where, yeah. uh, they think of the same player differently within two weeks wow um, so so that was my fourth point and <laughs> i will finish with uh, a sports media topic and that has to do with sports documentaries it was just as a personal aside i've been working from home a few days every week over the past few months and one of the things that i do as a background to my quote-unquote work process <laughs> is to have something going on on tv and most of the times it is sports documentaries and the thing that i've realized is for the longest time my source for sports reality sports uh, programming was ESPN, whether it is Outside the Lines or E60 or 30 for 30. And just in the last few months, I've discovered a bunch of little gold uh, nuggets on HBO and Showtime and Hulu and even on the independent, I mean, even on YouTube for that matter. Mm -hmm. Bunch of amazing sports documentaries, sports reality uh, uh, programs, which made me realize that not only are they on par uh, or in some way slightly superior to what ESPN has had to offer, including the 30 for 30 series, who I've been a big fan of. Yeah. I also, I almost think that ESPN needs to really pull up its socks in order to even compete in the same uh, uh, platform. 
uh, I think, and, and these include sports that I otherwise couldn't care less about. Like there was this uh, hour-long documentary on Greg Luganis, you know, the, the yeah, driver yeah. who it was discovered was HIV positive after he had mm-hmm. hurt himself, uh, fallen on the into the pool and had blood splattered all around. I mean, there was a... Yeah. So that whole thing, I mean, I candidly, I didn't know as much about it then as I do after watching the documentary. And I think the way it was made mm-hmm. was riveting. Wow, interesting. Couple of things. So, well, another, yeah. another one that I kind of really liked was this uh, one on um, Lawrence Phillips. Uh, if you remember him, he was this highly uh, prized yeah. running back from Nebraska uh, who was going to shake up the world of running backs in the NFL and ended up becoming a felon. And right now he's at San Quentin. And wow. wow. Uh, so, the whole rise and ultimate fall of Lawrence Phillips captured in a documentary on Showtime. Just amazing. Wow, great. You know, but you have to give ESPN credit for probably kicking this uh, golden era off with their uh, 30 for 30, though. I agreed, feel, agreed wholeheartedly. Right? right? In fact, they had a couple of missteps before that, making some movie about, you know, I think Bob Knight and things like that. But then they, they did the 30 for 30, and that's when this golden era of sports documentary has taken off. Uh, but it's interesting you say that because uh, one of the things I have been trying to watch, uh, I don't know if you have watched it, there's supposedly a really good documentary on uh, the hoodie, right? Bill Belichick. It's probably like an NFL films. Uh, have you seen that? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're talking about the, you're not talking about football life, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so, I've seen that and that is, uh, again, you're yeah. absolutely right the, a bunch of those football life episodes are, uh, are really great. interesting and the one on Woody was great just because you never know him otherwise. Yes, yes. That that I have always wanted to watch. And speaking of uh, Lawrence Phillips, uh, I, I, you know, the another name that came in the Calipari documentary was, uh, remember Duan Wagner? Oh, yes. Yeah, I yes. completely forgot about him. So, Duan Wagner is actually was a highly touted player, right? And then, supposedly, he had this big disease and he had to quit uh, NBA at 21 or something. I just thought he faded away because he was bad. But he had a medical reason for just disappearing. And Calipari's point was, if, he had, if I had forced him to stay all four years in college, he would not have made a single dollar. Great point. Yeah, that a was great point. In fact, you know, maybe this is a this is a main topic for one of our subsequent podcasts. But that is in itself the single biggest reason why I have the opinion that there should be no enforcement of how many years uh, a kid should stay in college. Yeah. I think Calipari is uh, spot on on that point. Right. On that note, uh, I enjoyed doing this, Ravi, and uh, let's do this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Yeah. Hey.